Thank you for listening to the Not Dead Yet podcast. I'm your host, John Masonbrink. I'm with my co-host, Tim Ward. Tim, how are you doing, buddy? JP, good morning. How are you? Today is uh, September 2nd. It marks the 20-year anniversary of my dad's passing. He passed away 20 years ago. And uh, just made me realize uh, what a great mentor he was to me and the rest of my family, my brothers and sisters. But to me, he was always a kind of a strong influence on being patient, understanding, and all the qualities that I needed to be a better man. I just remember coming home and he'd be sitting on the deck smoking a cigar, or when I lived up in Wisconsin, he'd be out by the the pond in our backyard and always had the time to talk to me, give me advice whenever I needed it. So just wanted to throw it out to you, Tim. You know, I know your parents were very influential in your life and kind of talk about them and, and their mentorship towards you. I mean, my father passed away, geez, almost 20 years ago as well. Uh, early age, heart attack, 58. Um, growing up, I really watched my father do what my father did. My mom's family, they were plumbing contractors. So I, I followed in my uncles and my grandfather around uh, in the warehouse and picking up nuts and bolts and doing stuff when I was a kid. But yeah, my father was a, a big influence in my life when it comes to kind of my personality. I, I My mom always said I got my personality from my father. And that's I, I think I, she hit that on the head. My mom was you know, the loving house mom that took care of us. Uh, she passed just a couple years ago. John, you actually came to the funeral. So yeah, parents were huge, huge influences in my life. I've got to meet your mom, John. So I know Carol's a big influence in your life. So uh, and mm-hmm. your mom's uh, still very active at her age. And it's, it's kind of cool. You know, we had parents that were really important to us. And so, you know, those things that we passed down to our kids. Yeah, she's uh, she's doing really well. She's in her uh, 80s now, and she still gets around, and it's it's pretty cool. She's actually pretty active on social media. For she is someone her age. It's pretty funny. Again, thanks for listening. Welcome into the podcast today. We have a special guest. He is the director of technical services for Vega. It's Jason McKinnon. Jason, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, John. How you doing? Glad to be here. Well, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. I guess we got to get to the crux of the the interview is what's going on with uh, New England sports. Uh, Tom Brady and Gronk, they just got up and left the Patriots. What What's happening there? Hey, you know, I, I look at it like this. You know, we're Patriots fans. And eventually, Brady was going to be leaving us one way or another. So I think we, we move on. Uh, what I can tell you is... Uh, from my perspective, I think that these Tampa Bay fans are uh, in for a rude awakening. I don't think <laughs> I, I don't think that this combo of Brady and Gronk is going to do anything near what they did together in years past here in New England. Uh, with any luck, they get more than six weeks out of Gronk. You know, he's pretty injury prone, and hopefully, Brady doesn't fall off that cliff given his age. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. It'll be interesting to see, but I, I, it's going to be no way near what it was, you know, 10 years ago with the Patriots. I did see a commercial on sub for Subway. It was uh Bill Belichick. What is he doing uh advertising spots now? Belichick's hawking $5 footlongs. <laughs> at least hey Jason, uh, at least you've got the Celtics playing well right now in the NBA bubble, so that's nice to see. That's right. That's right. They're doing pretty well. You know, we just we just lost obviously the Bruins, you know, I don't want to talk about that other team that plays that other sport. 
right now. So we'll leave that alone. So Jason, we just kind of wanted to talk to you uh, today about your path into the trades, uh, how you got started and what you do with Vega. And why don't you start with uh, how you got started? Yeah, sure. So for me, uh, it wasn't uh, a normal path per se into the trades. You know, a lot of people, uh, Tim, as you're commenting, you know, it's part of a family business, you know, kind of following the footsteps. It's how you get into this industry, regardless of what your role is, right? Whether you're in the trenches, you know, turning wrenches, whether you're working for a manufacturer, whatever it might be. For me, it was a little bit different. You know, I, I had a similar path to yourself, John, when you talk about taking 10 years going to school. However, I, I found a way into an HVAC supply house back about 20 years ago. Uh, at the time, I was doing you know, CAD drafting. I was going for my undergrad in mechanical engineering. And uh, a few years after being there, there was an opportunity with a company uh, out of Bedford, Massachusetts, a smaller company fairly new to the U.S., that had an opportunity as a you know, HVAC drafter. So I said, well, geez, that's a pretty good fit. Work for an HVAC company. I already went to school for drafting, working on mechanic, mechanical engineering. And uh, so I, I took the leap of faith a little over 16 years ago for this small company called Stadler Vega. Obviously, mm-hmm. things, are, things are quite different now. Here we are, you know, 16 plus years later, I'm still here. Uh, I've seen a lot of changes over the years and it's been an exciting ride. I'm very fortunate to be a part of this industry. My role obviously is a little different than a lot of others within the industry, uh, but it's still, it's exciting and a great thing to be a part of nonetheless. Well, Vega is a family-owned international manufacturer of plumbing and HVAC solutions and sells PECs for radiant heating and plumbing systems along with copper, stainless, and uh, metal alloy pipe along with mechanical pressure fitting products. And, you know, one of your claims to fame, or Vega's claim to fame, is the Pro Press and the pressing technology. Probably 15 years ago now, 20 years ago, they entered the market. But there are still people out there that say, you know, you're killing the craft or you're taking the skills out of the trade. I mean, what do you say to people like that? Well, John, you know, this is something that we brought over here in the U.S. in 1999. And I can say I understand where people are coming from. But what I can tell you is, you know, just because you can press a fitting, that doesn't make you a pipe fitter. That doesn't make you a plumber. Mm-hmm. There's so much more that goes into the trades versus joining it two pieces of pipe, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, th- if it were just about joining pipe, there'd be a lot more plumbers, pipe fitters, HVAC techs out here. There's a lot more to it. You're talking about pipe size and you're talking about, you know, the rules of the road, what you can and can't do. How do you get from A to B? Uh, what's allowed by code, what's not, you know, health effects. There are so many different things that come into play. If you think that just because we've made uh, an easier, faster, more consistent way to join pipe, uh, if you think that's ruining the trades, then I think you got to take a step back and, and look at what your expertise really is. Because as a professional contractor, your expertise isn't putting two pieces of pipe together. It's everything else that goes along with it. And I would think that uh, contractors uh, look at their final project and see that, you know, it's, it's an art form. And I've seen a lot of projects and with pressing tools and pressing technology, it's just a beautiful installation. At the end of the day, I would think it's about pride in your craftsmanship, whether you're sweating something or you're 
pressing something like you alluded to, Jason. I think it's it's all about the end result. And why not do something that is more efficient, that can save you money, can be safer? Listen, I had a rotary phone, but I don't use it anymore because I have a, a smartphone that I can do about just about anything with. So why not move with the trends and in, in the technology? Yeah, you're you know, you make a great point, John. Because it doesn't matter what product you're installing, you take pride in your work, right? What we're doing is we're trying to make it more consistent, more efficient. You get in, you do more jobs, you do them faster. You know, yeah, if you take the time, you can make anything look beautiful, which most of our customers do, right? They, mm-hmm. you know, there's no doubt they take pride in their work. Uh, we just compliment them and allow them to do more work and be more profitable. Well, let's shift gears here uh, and talk about your job description, what you do on a day-to-day basis. Uh, I know in-person training is very critical with Vega, and I know you have your Nashua, New Hampshire location, and then the new Broomfield, Colorado location where you host uh, contractors for training. But, uh, you know, with the pandemic, what, what, what have you guys been doing with online seminars? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, sure, John. Uh, like everybody, you know, we, we've had to adapt. This is something we've never experienced before. I mean, I've been doing this, uh, the training gig here for about 15 years, and we've gone from just a few hundred people annually to, uh, you know, this year we're going to be over 10,000 people through our facilities just in uh, the U.S. alone. So it was, a, it was a drastic change for us to shut our doors. Uh, so we had to obviously react quickly. You know, I can tell you within 10 days of closing our doors to customers due to the COVID pandemic, we were online and we were offering webinars to customers. Uh, mm-hmm. We took the remainder of the last few months to enhance these. You know, rather than a voiceover with a presentation, we started doing video. We started doing multi-camera where you know, it'd be the presenter with the slide deck. And then for the hands-on portion, they were in our buildings, in our trenches, you know, doing hands-on. Uh, we launched our Tech Talk Live that recently transitioned over to Instagram, which uh, that's something that our training managers, Bo D'Angelo out of Colorado and Troy Locke out of New Hampshire, uh, have been doing for the last few months. And it's just, it's a way for us to stay engaged with customers. You know, we were looking at having 10,000 in-person attendees in the U.S. Mm-hmm. here this year. Since we shut down in March, we've reached over 8,000 people via webinars, remote trainings. So we, you know, we had to change with the times, just like everybody else. I think that we've done a, uh, a pretty good job of it. I think there's always room to improve. You know, we were thrown into this. You know, I, I equate it to you know, the online learning for the kids. You know, if, mm-hmm. they, if they had months and months to prepare, it would have been uh, obviously drastically different than it ended up. Instead, mm-hmm. these teachers were kind of thrown to the walls like, hey, you got a week, figure it out. So we, uh, we just... We got it going, remained engaged, and then just continued to enhance it till, you know, just as of yesterday, we're now starting to open things back up here in New Hampshire. So, Do you see this uh, new normal and online training being integrated into Vega's, you know, training program moving forward or, you know, the importance of in-person training just that much more beneficial to uh, the end user and contractor? Yeah, look, guys, this, is, uh, this isn't something new, right? Online learning was here before COVID. It'll be here after COVID. This was just a, 
situation that forced the hands of those that weren't doing it to get with the times. You know, I, I told you earlier, you know, I was going to school for my undergrad for mechanical engineering. You know, I, I completed that in 2010 and I was taking online classes as part of my engineering undergrad prior to that. So online learning is something that's been going on for decades. It's just a matter of the scale at which it's being done right now due to this pandemic, doing everyone working remote, not, you know, social distancing. It just brought it to the forefront. Uh, I don't think this is going to go away. I also don't think this takes the place of what we do in person. I think there's a lot to be said for that. You made a point about uh, in your in your initial pilot podcast about you, know, you can't outsource plumbing jobs to China. Mm-hmm. Well, look, we can't teach someone how to touch and feel things necessarily via a webinar. You know, we try to enhance the remote offerings that we have, but that's going to allow us to cast a wider net and educate more people. That's not going to take away from what we do in person. So I think it's just yeah. going to complement the things that we do in person. Yeah. Similarly, I've been asked about, you know, the future of trade shows and, you know, will there be more online trade shows or virtual trade shows? And I've seen them done in the past and I give all the credit for the effort and I'm not so sure what the success level of that is. And to your point, I think people just like to be around people, to connect with people, to touch the product, to test it out and just be at a trade show. So. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree with that. There's, you know, there the online stuff and the virtual trade shows are definitely, uh, I would call it a, a niche opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. Because there are some people that the last thing they want to do is get in a room with a bunch of people they don't know. For others, man, we we love that. You know, let's go, let's start a conversation about absolutely useless stuff, and then let's roll into you know conversations about what we did at work or family or things like that. You know, it's. It's how you make those connections with people and you build those relationships. And that's what we miss with online learning and with doing everything virtually and remote. You you miss the connection with human beings. Let's talk about uh, Vega's commitment to training. Uh, I know you you have the Nashua, New Hampshire location, which has been around for, gosh, 10, 12 years now, maybe longer. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's a little bit longer than that. Uh, I remember moving into this facility in June of 2006 before we actually completed construction. So mm-hmm. I, w- I was hanging out here with all of the uh, contractors that were just doing all the finished work going through the punch lists. So we opened here in Nashville, New Hampshire, uh, officially in September of 2006. So, I mean, we're, wow. we're hitting about 14 years on the money here. Obviously, that was you know, just the first of many things to come. We know mm-hmm. that we've seen a significant amount of construction projects done by Vega within the U.S. since then. Obviously, opened the Broomfield Seminar Center just a couple of years ago here. And part of the investment, you know, from an educational standpoint and in these seminar centers is really a, a global initiative. This isn't something that's just the North American market. We've got two uh, fantastic facilities here, obviously one on the East Coast, one you know more towards the West, pretty central, uh, and they were strategically located. But we have more than a dozen worldwide. So this is something that we do not just in the North American market. We do it all over the world. And it's something we're going to continue to do. You know, going from New Hampshire out to Colorado, it's, hey, you know, this is bigger, this is newer, 
you know, we've had a decade to learn in the facility here, you know, what do we truly need when we build this next seminar center? What benefits our customers the most? What's going to make their experience here uh, as, as good as we can get it? And so that's why you'll see, you know, there's a, there's a drastic difference. You know, we went from a couple of classrooms to four classrooms. You know, here we've got one hands-on space we call the trenches. It's about 900 square feet. Out in Colorado, we built two 1,500 square foot workshops. You know, it's like the Taj Mahal out there. So we know our contractors like to get their hands on things. They like to have that that tactile, real world, firsthand experience. So we built enough space to allow everybody going through there to do that. Yeah, you know, I was fortunate enough to visit the Broomfield facility out in Colorado, and it's it's beautiful. You know, it has the the training center and it has the North American corporate headquarters for Vega. And uh, Bo D'Angelo, who runs the training out there, uh, he kind of pulled me aside and he said, "You know, Jason might be a little jealous of the uh, facility out here. What, what what do you what do you say about that, Jason?" You know, I, I think Bo just misses me is really what it is. <laughs> but uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, so I was here in this facility in New Hampshire since prior to it officially opening. Uh, I was involved with the project in Colorado when we were still looking for a piece of dirt. You know, we, we hadn't even selected the land yet. Uh, when I started working on that project, we actually hadn't made the decision yet to move the headquarters there. So I, uh, I feel like that's just as much my baby as, as this building here in New Hampshire. You know, Absolutely. Uh, when, when I look at it, you know, I, I have the pleasure of having teams located in both, uh, getting to work with you know, the professionals out there as well as out here. If I get sick of the New England guys, you know, I make a trip out to Colorado. This whole COVID thing has put a halt on some of that travel, uh, but I get the opportunity to work in both facilities and you know work with customers to get to experience both. And we, you know, we take the positive things from both facilities and we try to just thread them in each location. Jason, you talked a little bit about the commitment to the training. Obviously, that's that's your core responsibility. One of the things that I've noticed in the years that we've worked with Vega and you know, shout out to Mark Brody, one of your colleagues at Vega, your trainers have a background, uh, a contracting background. Many are master plumbers. What's the value that you find as technical director of training for Vega, that background that they bring as trainers, what do you see as the value? Yeah, Tim, I, I would say, I don't know if it's unique to the industry. You see a lot of our uh, you know, other manufacturers within the industry that have similar workforce, I think there's a real reason for that. You know, our target customer is a contractor base, right? That's who's putting in our products. They want to know that whoever's educating them, they know what it's like to be in your shoes, right? So I'm out here and I'm not just preaching to you because, you know, hey, this book says this and this is what I was told. You should buy it because it's great. You should use this because I sell it. They're out there saying, hey, man, I've been in your shoes before. I've been on a job late at night. You just want to get this done. You just want to get home to your family. You just want to wrap this up. I've got a solution for you. I can help you. Uh, that's one of the reasons we tend to lean towards contractors. And, and it's not all contractors. You know, we, we all know many contractors, you know, just like we talk about utilizing virtual versus in-person trade shows and trainings. You know, certain people are built a certain way. But being a contractor, you know that, you know, as a customer asks you a question, 
It doesn't have to be specific about your fitting or your tubing or your product. Uh, if a contractor calls us in tech support, if a contractor comes to a training and they ask a question about pipe fitting, plumbing, sprinkler systems, setting a toilet, you know, digging a trench, whatever it is, our guys have experienced it, right? We have a team of professionals, both in Colorado and in New Hampshire, that are pipe fitters. Uh, they're master plumbers. They're journeyman plumbers. Uh, they've got experience with putting in HVAC systems. They've got experience putting in baseboard and steam and drainage. I mean, you name it, they've got experience with it. So they understand. You know, even on our, our design side of things, some of our designers, they actually have a background from the field. You know, they're master plumbers. And so when they put a design together for a plumbing contractor or for an engineer, they put on their installation hat and they say, well, I'm not going to design this to look good on paper. I'm going to design this so that when someone goes to install it, I've already thought of the challenges they're going to have when they install it. Because it's always been a, a typical banter between an installation contractor and an engineer is, man, you make it look good on paper, but I'm the one that has to put it in. You know, a lot of the, the BIM modeling and things like that have made life a lot easier from an installation standpoint with clash detection and, and understanding that something's not going to work before you actually get to a job site. But having someone who's supporting the product, designing the product, training you on a product that understands your business, that understands your daily struggles, uh, it really is something that's irreplaceable. You can't teach that. So that's a little bit about the value of the trainer. Let's talk a little bit about the value of the training. Give us a little bit behind the scenes look at how you go about creating the training, come up with courses and, and drive the messaging out to contractors about the training. Yeah, you make a great point. So when we look at the curriculum that we're developing, uh, I can tell you it has evolved over the years. You know, when, when I started here back in 2004, we were you know, just beginning with the ProPress side of things. We we're pretty heavy into, you know, the radiant side of things and climate panel and whatnot. So our, our training was very focused on that. Over the next several years, it shifted heavily to being focused on the metal side of things. And we get the question a lot from people that say, well, you know, it's a press fitting. What are you going to teach me? It's not about teaching you a press fitting. You know, that's done by our salespeople in the field. They do a demo. You get an understanding. What our trainers teach you is you're on a job and this is a particular job. It's swapping out a water heater. It's changing a boiler. It's adding an indirect, whatever it might be. Here are the things that utilizing our products and our systems, our design strategies, here are things that will make your life easier. Here's things that will make the job go faster. Here's things that will put more money in your pocket. You know, we talk to them about you know, the, the code restrictions and requirements based off of where they're located. So you, know, you want to do things this certain way because then you won't have any red tags. You, know, you won't have to worry about the approvals because it's already there. So we work with customers uh, in a way that it helps them with their business as opposed to peddling a product. So we shift instead of saying, hey, this is our fitting. This is a great fitting. Look how great our fitting is. We tend to transition to here's how what we offer can provide a better experience for you, right? And we do that by looking at what our customers' needs are and we engage with them. And they say, hey, man, we see this a lot in the field, right? I, I'll say deflection is a perfect example. You talk about developing a, a new curriculum. So yeah, we've got mega press. We can teach you how to press it, applications, all that great stuff. But people say, man, I put it in and you know, it, it has this thing called deflection where 
if you don't know how to press things in, in the proper manner, it'll kick, it'll move. And we talked earlier, our customers are professionals. They want everything to look perfect. They want it to be level. They want it to be plumb. They want everything to be true. You know, they want to take pictures of it and put it on social media, right? So we look at that and say, well, we know how to do that. We need to communicate this to our customer. This is a need that they've expressed. So we then develop an entire curriculum on that. We work with them to ensure that next time they go install a job, they can do it exactly the way we do. They can do it perfectly because we know it can be done that way. We just need to educate them. So we typically generate our new ideas for curriculum based off of feedback from our customers, you know, from the industry. Obviously, the industry changes. We need to change our content with it. Sounds like you're trying to be in front of the curve. You know, great business model. Speaking of that, talked earlier about, you know, killing the craft or taking the skill out of the trades. How is Vega, maybe specifically you, working to guide and support and even advance plumbing and heating industry issues with associations or other outside organizations, such as closing the gap in skilled trade shortage? That's something that obviously being in this industry, we've, we've heard so much of. Uh, in recent years, you know, I was part of the generation that you go to school, you go to school, you go to school. Like that's what you do. You you go to college. You don't go to a trade school. I grew up in a town. I lived about a mile and a half away from a regional vocational school. I was never even afforded the opportunity to go there by the guidance counselor. So you know that sparked some of these you know shortages. And the people that I know that did go there and got into the trade, uh, they're they're doing great. So there's a lot to be said for it. But we, uh, as a department, as a company, we work with organizations like the UA, uh, like PHCC and others. We're working to educate not only those that are entering into the trade. They've already made the decision that they're coming into the trade. We want to get them up to speed on you know what's up and coming, what's new technology. Uh, but we also look at high school level vocational. So we actually have a vocational initiative within Vega where we started this in New England uh, out of our New Hampshire Seminar Center. We have a person that uh, their sole focus is to work with vocational schools, uh, both high schools and then secondary, to drive people going into the trades, right? So if you, uh, if you go on Instagram, it's, you know, press into the trades. You know, that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to get people into the trades because we know that people can make a great career here. And so we're using resources we have as an organization, as a manufacturer, but also with our seminar centers and our trainers to get this message out there. And we're working with various organizations throughout New England, and we're just starting to branch this outside of New England. It becomes a bit more challenging right now with travel restrictions, but we are not only working with existing organizations and people that are in the trades, but we're trying to help educate younger people to get into the trade. So don't, don't miss the market that you have to go to college and get, you know, significant amount of loans. And like the only way to go is to be an accountant or a doctor or a veterinarian, you know, get into the plumbing industry, regardless of whether or not you want to be a plumber installing fittings and pipe and fixtures. That's not the only opportunity within the plumbing industry, as many people have shown. So we're just trying to drive people to that industry and say, hey, it's a great industry, regardless which way you go. Uh, and it's an initiative that we have as an organization as a whole. That's great to hear. Uh, John, I think this is the segue where we go 
By the way, we also have a podcast called Make Trades Great Again. Uh, if you've not heard that, please feel free to go check out our other podcast uh, with our colleagues, uh, Eric Ani and uh, Andy Mickelson. It's a great podcast. Uh, if you haven't heard it, like I said, go listen to that. It's it's all about making trades great again. So it's funny. I hear a lot about uh, with the pandemic that people are busier than they normally would have been before the pandemic. Uh, do you feel that this, that's the same case with you, uh, Jason? A- absolutely. It's one of those things where you, you have to explain it to people because they say, you know, your, your whole job is training people in person. That's what your entire team does. So how exactly is it that now that you've shut your doors and you can't see people face to face, how are you busier? And I like to tell people, say, look, you know, we knew what we were doing. We've been doing it for, you know, 15 years, right? I can do it with our eyes closed. And all of a sudden you said, no, you can't do that anymore. You now have to figure out a way to connect with your audience in another manner. So immediately we said, okay, we got to shift gears, right? And that was day one when we shut down and we said, we're going to work on our curriculum so that when we come back, we're better than ever. We got new content, like we can just wow people. Uh, We're talking about expanding our hands-on, doing some construction within the facilities. And then after a few days, we we got together and said, we're going to be disengaged with our customers. So when we reopen, we won't have those relationships any longer. So we immediately said, shut it all down, focus on getting online. So we have, you know, not to take away from from plumbing contracts, we got people that spent 25 years in the trades. They didn't sit behind a computer. So for them to get online and do a, a web broadcast, that was something we had to learn, right? They had to be taught how to do that. So we took the first couple of days after we shifted gears to get online to just do dry run webinars with all of our staff to say, okay, let's go. And we would critique and we would help everyone to a point where everybody are comfortable and they, they just started nailing it, right? It was great. And then we continued to enhance what we're offering from an online perspective and we said, okay, that's great. And now here we are entering into September and in New Hampshire, we're saying, oh man, we, we got to get customers back in the building because we're allowed to here. Like we're reopening, the state's reopening. You know, we're in very good shape from a pandemic standpoint. So as of yesterday, September 1st, we are officially open again in New Hampshire. Uh, obviously we have a lot of you know restrictions in place. We're following CDC and state practices uh, we're making sure that this is a safe place for not only our attendees, but also our staff. So we are reopened officially as of September 1st. We actually unofficially had a, a small group in last week. We had uh, about 15 or 20 people in here. Uh, we opened up our walls. Every single table is eight feet apart. Uh, we have requirements for wearing masks in common areas. We're following all of the rules and requirements as far as you know, there's no self-serve snacks or drinks or things like that. So we've, we found a way to adjust and get back to normal. You know, let's use air quotes with that normal, you know, and we found immediately we're missing that banter, that back and forth within person. So we are super busy because we have had to reinvent ourselves three times in the last four months, you know, Mm -hmm. get online, get offline, you know, get back in person. So, I mean, it's been, it's been really challenging for us and it's been strenuous for, for some because the bread and butter is in front of contractors, right? Face-to-face, working with them, putting in product. That's their bread and butter. 
to all of a sudden put them behind a computer and tell them to engage was a challenge. So it's been, it's been a lot of work to do what we've done over these past few months, but I can tell you, we're ready to, to open up and we're ready to kick ass again. You know, we, we are trying to get people back as soon as possible. Obviously we're doing things slowly. So we're starting, you know, Hey, we're in New Hampshire. If you can drive here and don't need to spend the night, which there are millions of people that can do that. We said, we want to have you You drive here. We'll have a training. We'll feed you some lunch. We'll finish things up. You can drive home. Then we'll, we'll slowly phase in people that need an overnight stay. And then eventually maybe after the first year, people will start flying back in. And I know that's different from what other people within the industry are doing. Uh, other people are, you know, Hey, nothing till, till 2021, we're done. Uh, but we found a way that we can safely do it. You know, whether it's gloves, masks, more sanitizer than you even know what to do with, uh, we're making it happen. Well, that's great to hear. And let's, uh, let's hope for uh, transition back to some normalcy. I know that's not going to happen here for the next maybe six months to a year, but uh, it's, it's great to hear that you're getting people back into the facility. So when you do find some spare time, I mean, what do you like to do in your spare time, Jason? You know, in the past, it was, you know, going to sporting events, right, getting together with friends. I can tell you in the recent months, ever since uh, March 13th, when we shut down this building, it was focused on, you know, close friends and family. You know, I've got mm -hmm. three girls, which, you know, seven-year-old is the oldest. I've got twins that are four and a half. So they tend to keep us pretty busy. So for the most part, it's been spending a lot of time with, you know, the neighbors. They all have kids similar age just around the fire outside. That's been the mm -hmm. go-to for the last several months. You know, it's the safest thing that we can do. Uh, and it keeps everybody occupied. And I tell you, it keeps, it keeps everybody sane you know, because it's been challenging. Well, Jason, we like to end each and every podcast asking our guest, when was the last time you said, today is a great day. When was that? You know, I've, I've got two answers for you. <laughs> one, one of them is a good answer. The other one is a selfish answer. So uh, I'll give you the good answer first. So it was actually just a few weeks ago. Uh, you know, we're in the midst of all this crap and we, we always have a family summer vacation. You know, being in New England, we go up to Fry Island, which is a small island on Lake Sebago in Maine. And we rent a home and we spend a week there and you get on the island by a ferry and you don't leave until you're going home. And unfortunately, back in April, uh, we found out that due to main quarantine requirements, the person that we were renting from was from Colorado and not flying in to open their house. We no longer had a, a location that we were going to stay. So we scrambled. Uh, my wife thankfully took the initiative. She found a location just about an hour and 20 minutes away from where we, we currently live in New Hampshire on a smaller lake. But again, it's a house, private beach access, you know, the whole bit. So taking the kids to a private beach for the entire week, you know, them getting to play in the water, there was no mass, there was no, you know, six foot restrictions. Uh, it was just, it was normal for them, which I think they really needed. So it was, you know, my wife and I sitting there watching the kids playing in the water, you know, the same way we've done every year for the past several years, you know, we just sat back and just, said, man, this is great. You know, like this is what we needed. We needed to remove them from the craziness, right? And so we had a great opportunity to do that. Uh, so I said, that was, you know, that's my good story. The other one was selfishly on Sunday, obviously told you, you know, Patriots fan, right? Well, 
we've been uh, doing fantasy football for years with all of our buddies. And we have a bet every year as part of it. Uh, and it's called the six pack bet. So whoever wins gets a six pack of beer from everybody that participates. Mm-hmm. I had the luxury of winning it this past season. So I showed up to the draft Sunday uh, evening with an empty cooler and I went home with 26 craft beers. <laughs> that and, is And I awesome. said, this was a great day. <laughs> that is a great day. You know, I, it's I, the little things. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention you mentioning seeing your kids. That's an awesome, that's a great day. And considering the way John started our podcast, that's awesome. Absolutely. They just started preschool yesterday in person, uh, my four and a half year old twins. And I had to tell them that they were lucky because everybody else, for the most part, that goes to preschool doesn't know anyone and they go in by themselves. And it's very scary. I said, you guys are going in with a friend. Like you got your best friend by your side. You got nothing to lose here. John has teenage twins, so he can probably give you a, <laughs> some advice. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, is you know, they're, they're tw- well, actually preteens, 12, 12 year old boy and girl. And oftentimes I get the question, are they identical twins? And I have to explain <laughs> to people that one has a penis and the other. <laughs> you know, John, I, I got to admit until we, uh, until we find out we we're having twins, I didn't know the difference myself. And my, my wife who's in the medical field. She laughed at me. She said, you're yeah. not serious. She said, you're a really intelligent guy. How can you be asking this question? She also she also says that to me when we're driving, and she's like, "Don't you know where you are?" No, nah. now the lady in the phone tells me where I'm going. I don't need to pay attention. Well, Jason, thanks for taking some time out of your busy schedule. We really appreciate talking with you today. Thanks again, and have a great day. Good luck, Jason. Thanks, guys, thanks, guys. It was my pleasure, John. Looking forward to seeing you in person again, Tim. You as well. You don't want to miss next week's episode as we talk to real women in the trades. Danielle Twig Brown at the Littlest Plumber on Instagram and Linda Hudek at the Brunette Plumber. Chat about life in the trades. These smart, funny women have been kicking ass for years now and we sit down and talk with them. You don't want to miss it. Not Dead Yet podcast is powered by Mechanical Up Media and produced by John Masonbrink and Tim Ward. It is edited by John Masonbrink. Music presented by Jason Drum and graphics furnished by Wayne Rowe. Thanks for listening and until next week. <laughs>